class. It's good to be here. Um, I see so many familiar faces. Where's big old Curtis running around here somewhere? And um, Buck is missing. I praise the Lord for my wife, who is has to deal with me on the regular, which is a job she don't get paid for. <laughs> so I want to acknowledge her and my oldest son and his fiance are here. My little boys, they'll be sleeping in a minute. They have heard this before. <laughs> you need to know that I love your pastors, particularly as I speak about Eric Mason, who is um, one of my closest friends on the planet, and his wife can cook like no other. <laughs> I stole some fish the other day. And um, but I thank God for him at a season and a time in my life where I was really just ready to back out and go go move down to North Carolina or just get the heck up out of Philly, feeling rejected, feeling exhausted. Um, he stepped in and and never allowed my whining and my crybabying to allow him to not pray. And he prayed and he prayed right past my whining. And um, I thank God for his relationship. I love him, along with Deuce Branch, my neighbors. It's good to be there. And my dogs ain't that big. <laughs> Let's get right into this word. I don't want to get in trouble. I want to get invited back, maybe. So let me get right to it. Well, that works. Let's pray. Father in heaven, because of your great love, you've allowed us to wake up one more time. Might we not steal the breath you gave us and waste it on nothingness, but might we use it to lift the name that is above all names. The song says, the sweetest name I know, that name Jesus, to the rafters. Might he be higher than the Lincoln Center? Might he be higher than, 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 than Donovan McNabb? Might he name be exalted in Philly, not like Dr. J, but above all things that we might all gravitate and look on the beauty of his holiness? That Philadelphia won't be just the God-forsaken city as many think it is, but that because the exalted name of Jesus, that it would be God-blessed. Lord, I particularly... As I pray these seasons, I pray against the murder rate in Philadelphia. And I thank you for this, this gathering, this, this crew, this tribe here. That we should have been on that number. But because of your great love, you transferred us from, from front row seats in hell to standing room only in heaven. Use us today. Use this word. Hide me way behind the cross. Might nobody even remember my name, but might they remember the name that saves, that delivers, that redemption is locked in. Jesus, be glorified now in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I have heard so much of Epiphany. I snuck in one time, and I am excited to be here. Um, And Eric tells me so much. Of what's going on, and I am so, so, so encouraged. You know, nobody's in line to go do ministry in North Philly. Ain't, you know, nobody's fighting over 17th and Diamond to be the church to reach this community. So I'm so excited when God impresses upon a man's heart and upon a, upon a tribe's heart to come and do incarnational ministry in North Philadelphia. Amen? They call it the Badlands. If you read some different blogs, 
I read a blog and it said when he drives through Philadelphia, he gets depressed. He says he tries to avoid it from New York to Ohio driving through. He says even the nice part up in the Lancaster area is miserable because there's so many poor rural areas. He says everything about it is miserable. I'm so glad that God found some crazy folk to come and say, Jesus can turn this thing around. I'm so glad to see you guys. So I want to ride on the vein of what's been jumping off. I heard about John. I heard about Proverbs. And I just want to encourage you as I encourage my, my, my friend and you all here, the saints here, with that in order to maintain, in order to keep going, um, Eric often talks about so many folk coming and so many things and a lot of people checking out and, and all these different things. And he, he, he struggles and say, God, that people might come and just worship and love God, not let Epiphany be a museum. Amen. And that we don't get complacent in the mission God's given. I just want to encourage you. The title of my sermon is Passion and Purpose. If we're going to live this thing through, we're going to need to have passion for God and be rooted in God's purposes for North Philadelphia. I guess I can flip that. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 32 through 40. I'm going to read for your hearing a backdrop passage as we get into this text. For as now in the days that are past, which were before you since the day that God created man on earth, and as from one end of the earth of heaven to the other, whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. To you it was shown that you might know the Lord is God. There is no other beside him. Out of heaven, out of heaven, he lets you hear his voice that he might discipline you, discipline you, and on earth, he lets you see his great fire. And because he loved you, he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than yourselves to bring you in to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day. Know therefore today. And lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. Therefore, you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Moses, I want to show you this quote. It's time for us Christians to face up to our responsibility for holiness. Too often we say we are defeated by this or that sin. No, we are not defeated. We are simply disobedient. 
Jerry Bridges, the pursuit of holiness. Moses, this 120-year-old leader, he is preaching to the people destined to possess the land. Some of the emphasis here in this passage of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is broken up into three major sermons. And this one, and this is the part of the first one. It goes from chapter 1 all the way to chapter to chapter 4, to the end of chapter 4. And here, he's, this is his introductory, his prologue. He's coming in to, to greet these people as he is a man that's near death. He's trying to lay out for this new generation, this generation to inherit, to come into the promised land. He's trying to lay out. I don't know about you, but my mother died when I was 12 years old. And what she said to me up until that point was significant. Most of the stuff she encouraged me as she knew she was dying for several months was seeking to lay out my life for the future. Amen. Seeking to lay out the, the mistakes she made and the, and the pitfalls she ran into that I might not run into those, uh, those same pitfalls. So Moses, is, 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 he's got passion and I believe in purpose as he's laying this out. Now, some emphasis is he... this. In Deuteronomy, he's talking more to laymen, not just to the priests and kings, but to the people, the community. He talks heavily about obedience and disobedience, and he, and he emphasizes strenuously God's faithfulness. There is a tension and a charge for the people to obey, and he points obedience to the reminder of God's faithfulness, and that faithfulness can't be the sad example of the generation before that refused to obey God. As a church planner, I raise support and I talk to many pastors and um, sometimes the older pastors say, when I, I'm, I'm coming to share the vision for support, they say, I, I worked three jobs and, and went to school and had 11 kids. You got to get it the hard way. We're not supporting your work. Got to get it the hard way. Got to get it the hard way. So there's a so I want to remind them that God did so much to bring us out. God did so much to bring forth the church of the living God to where we are today, particularly in the African-American community. Did so much. How quick we forget and want to attach a generational tragedy to the next generation. They refuse to enter the they refuse to obey God. Therefore, they're not entering in the promised land. So here Moses, I believe, is conveying, he's trying to move them from a bad history to holiness. From see, the motive for God for obedience to God is God's promise. The standard of obedience is God's word. The incentive for God's obedience is God's faithfulness. And the punishment for not obeying God is God's judgment and wrath. See, we need to be reminded every now and again. That God is God reminds us like he's saying, I'm, I'm still here. I, I still have the promise. I'm, I'm still God. I still have power because oftentimes if the relationship has some distance in it, it's us who's moved. But he's the constant reminder that he has not changed. His, he's immutable and he stands ready and he stands to honor his promise. Moses projected passion and passion creates an atmosphere of expectancy. Do we live like we believe the Bible? As Eric talked about, are we more engrossed in parabiblical information or are we craving and desiring desperately the word of God for our pain? Do we call our friend first or do we call on God first in the troubled time? Do you have more minutes used on your cell than on your knees? 
Do we live like soon and very soon we're going to see the king? Are we living? Is there a holy urgency to our mission? Is there a holy urgency? I don't know about you, but for I, I don't know the count, a little over 200 of deaths here in Philadelphia. But there was a holy urgency that was needed. Amen. We don't know. We, we don't know who's next to die. So we have to live every day. Sharing the gospel with passion and purpose, passioned by God's passion and the purpose of God's plan. Point one, and we're going to move. Point one, a sense of destiny. My three points is a, a sense of destiny, a sense of family, and a sense of commitment. See, oftentimes, often in church plants and just churches, period, we lose our sense of destiny. Often, when you read web pages, the core values are, are, are banging off the charts. The mission statement is perfect. I mean, if churches just lived their mission statement, we'd be all right. <laughs> mission statements, the color design, everything. The words are alliterations, all C's. <laughs> I, I, ain't, I ain't talking about epiphany a lot. <laughs> So in 32 through 36, this is what he says. For ask now in the days that are past, which were before you since the day that God created man on the earth. Ask from one end of heaven to the other, whether such a great thing, somebody say great thing, has this ever been, has ever happened or what and was ever heard of. He restates the covenant of the laws for a new generation. That's what he's doing. A demonstration of God's power and reminder of his promise for, our, for, for their forefathers was the presupposition of Moses' charge. So his presupposition is, look, I'm restating this. Deuteronomy means second giving of the law. So I'm restating this because the last crew didn't get it. I'm laying this out. So, so, so here, we don't have to look back 40 years into history books that we don't have history of. You can just look at your mom and them and see what they did did not work. So I, I want to lay this out as I convey this clearly. So my presuppos so Moses' presupposition as he lays out this covenant renewal is when they tried it their way, they'll perish and not inherit the land. Verse 32, he says this great thing in the Hebrew, it, it's, this is a general word, 1,100 times used in the Old Testament, 30 different translations in English. Um, it trans the translation it to promise or to be wooed by. To be wooed by. Don't you know that the grace of Jesus Christ will just woo that sinful, dead, deprived human? That's me. But the gospel is so beautiful, it wooed me. It swept, don't you realize the gospel swept me off and swept you off your feet? Don't you realize you couldn't dress nice enough to attract the gospel? Don't you... You, you can't do anything to stir God up to save you. Can't do anything. You can't sing loud enough. You can't read enough scripture for God to be, man, he's doing so much, I think I'll save him. But this great thing he's done is he's saved man who was on, who, who was destined for hell, should have been dead and gone. Why? I, I often wonder, why would you save Broke down joker like me. Why? 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 All the sins I, I, I can count on, I cry when I think about them. But I'm so glad that he looked beyond my mess and looked into and he says, boy, I've got a plan and a destiny for you that's tied directly to the blood of my son. 
And it's a great thing that he saved us. It's a great thing when, when we thought it was over. We look at people and we wonder and we look at our family members. I don't know about you, but my father was an alcoholic all his life. Beat my mother, put her in the hospital on more than one occasion. He came to Christ in 1991. I thought he was done. I was wishing him to hell. But in comes the gospel. And he's got some destiny. And that destiny is connected in community to the body of believers as we move forward incarnationally, as as we operate in our incarnational instrumentality, affecting our surroundings. That's a great thing. Verse 32, he he goes and he says, um, has ever happened or was heard of. That word in Hebrew means, it means was even rumored of. So in other words, if you Google a great thing that God did, it's not going to come up. Nobody heard of it. If you go to ask.com, it's not going to come up. But when you look to the people that he saved and he's changed and he's transformed, Paul says, my letters are walking around. They're saved. They're they're believers. As a a church planner, I struggle through strategies and things. I know they're necessary. But sometimes I just want to see somebody that doesn't know Jesus come to know Jesus. I, I, I mean, I love, I, love Mich- I love Mars Hill Church, and, I, and I, I, I get on all types of blogs like y'all do. I, I'm checking this. I got a bunch of books. Eric gave me half of them. <laughs> but sometimes I just like a good old person on their way to hell to hear the gospel and come to Christ. So this, this, this destiny for Christians is sealed and sown in the sovereignty of God and in the providence of God. For many it seeks. For many, we often think we're bound or destined into the way our forefathers walked. So oftentimes, you think you can't come out. There's no encouragement. Walk around North Philly. It's not a whole bunch of folk just encouraging folk to be doctors and lawyers. There's not a whole bunch of examples to move out. Some people in North Philly, I lived on 21st in Allegheny, never seen outside of Philip, Pennsylvania, never seen outside of North Philly. Never seen outside of North Philly. Never been hugged by a mother and said, that's a great picture, even though it was awful. The destiny. My mother always encouraged me. She didn't tell me what we didn't have because we didn't have nothing. But she reminded to, she remembered to tell me what I could be and what I could be through Christ. I'm not bound to that. I'm not bound to my father. I'm not bound to my mother's history. But I'm caught up and, 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 and wooed in by the grace of my Lord and Savior, Jesus, who is the Christ. Not just as God-haters, but those who believe in salvation When we think about this destiny, there's a gospel being preached that's not the gospel. There's a gospel being preached that's not even in the Bible. It doesn't even smell like Jesus. Many evangelicals in our own city have detached Christ's transforming power through repentance from Christ. We have to realize that that this sense of destiny that that Moses is conveying to the people. He's, it's ultimately a focus passage. He's getting them to focus in on the greatness of our God. It's, he's, getting them, he's trying to remind them that it wasn't their idea to be delivered from bondage in Egypt, but it was God's idea. Sometimes we turn repentance from an action to a thing. 
Sometimes it's just a ticket, we think, into heaven. But it's an act of turning, being turned about, and constantly going through the gospel, in the gospel, running to the gospel, from the gospel. As the gospel propels us through this life, as we're strengthened by the gospel, as we're transformed by the gospel, as we're encouraged by the gospel, as we continue to die daily through the gospel. Repentance is an act that we must turn and continue to repent and continue to turn. That the salvation by Christ transforms, it morphs, it changes, it changes minds, it breaks generational strongholds. It's a substantive transformation that is more than an aisle walk. It's, it's more than a repeat after me prayer. It's, 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 it's more than an eight-week new member class. It's, it's, it's more than a no longer listening to secular radio salvation. But it's a holistic, metam, holistic metamorphized life. It's lifestyle that walks this journey, this path, this destiny is connected to the promises of God. It's got destiny tied to it. Hebrews chapter 13, look what it says. So Jesus So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, hallelujah, but we seek a city that is to come. Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of his lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect the good And share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. We've got destiny. We're not, we're not trying to be locked in Philly. I don't mind fighting while I'm here. But, we, but we're, we're Epiphany Fellowship and the believers of God, we're moving forward on to the city of God. Sister Act said we're marching to Zion, that beautiful city of God. Marching. Romans 8.18 One of my favorite passages. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Revealed in us. Destiny soaked in God's purpose is the mission of the church to preach the gospel of grace. That God will draw people into himself and draw people into his beast. Destiny says the best is yet to come. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. In verse 33, back in Deuteronomy, look what he says. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you heard and are still alive. Don't you understand the uniqueness of this salvation? It's, it's unlike any salvation. It's unlike any so-called God who offers a so-called salvation. There's a uniqueness to this because he says, I'll come to you. The other gods say, you have to come up to him, which is unattainable. But this God, our God... Yahweh says, I'll come to you. I want to dwell with you. I'm going to leave the resident where I have a standing, continuous play on the CD player of angels, holy, 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 that I might come reside in this low land of sorrows to be amongst my people. He's calling people unto himself. And, he, he, and Moses is pouring out here, don't you understand the uniqueness? Don't you understand the uniqueness as believers of the Son of God? My only begotten, my monogenes, the only begotten Son of the Father. I didn't have ten and give you one, but I gave you my only. 
this perfect, this, this, this anointed one, this Christos, the, 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 the Mashiach. I'm sent him for you. This typology here is, as Jesus quotes Deuteronomy so often, points to the reality of who they are. See, often I don't believe the children of Israel knew who they were. I, 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 can, I, I can identify. I've been through some stuff. And I, I break down and start acting like God had just took a break. Like God took a nap. I forget who I am when I start to get angry and get frustrated, wondering where God is. But he's here. His presence is here. Brother Lawrence says we need to practice the presence of God. You are my chosen, my elect. You are not a people, but I said you shall be my people and I shall be your God. I have set you apart, have designated you, favored you, and destined you to eternal life. Oftentimes at communion, it's the same reminder. The table says do this. The table, on the front of the table, not this one, but the ones you've been used to, says do this in remembrance of me. A constant reminder that it was God who was in this. It was God who was doing this. A reminder of his faithfulness. A reminder of what he's done and his power. As Christians, we have such short memories. I know I do. Verse 36 goes further, and it goes further, and it says, Out of heaven, he lets you hear his voice, that he might discipline you, and on earth, let you see his face. He reminds them of the 430 years of bondage to seemingly most powerful gods were there. We know Moses dealt with ten. And he reminds them how easily he defeated those so-called gods in Egypt and delivered them. He, he, he took them from slavery in Egypt to freedom. Christ moved us from slaves to freedom in Christ through the atonement of Christ on Golgotha's hill. And you need to know that the, the slave master that the, that the Israelites dealt with was way weaker than the slave master that we were in bondage to. Pharaoh has nothing on sin. Pharaoh has nothing on depravity. Pharaoh was a weakling compared to, to what Jesus defeated on Calvary's cross. Pharaoh was a chump compared to the bondage of sin that we were slaves to. We didn't kind of buy into it. We were sold into it. We were placed into it. We weren't halfway in and halfway out, as they all say, play in church. No, we weren't the church. We were unsaved, dead walking, dead in our trespasses and sins. That's what the Bible says. I wasn't sick. I was dead. So when I think about Pharaoh and I think about the children of Israel, we should sing louder. We should praise harder. We've got something bigger than a red cedar cross. We got this chasm between us and God. And he crossed it with ease and brought us with him. He moved enemies to allies. Thank you, Jesus. The context here is not much different than North Philadelphia, a place where a variety of idols and devils and false gods and, and false Christs Missile ministry is like an operation. The gospel chops into North Philly as we seek to remove the cancer through the gospel. And once in, we, once we're inserted into this context, then we just plug into the vein of the city and we just drip and drip like an IV. We just drip 
saturate the gospel. Drip. We just drip. We're just steady, dripping. We don't need to burn like a. We don't need to burn like a match. We're just going to burn like a candle, constantly and consistently dripping the gospel, pleading the blood of Jesus, living out the gospel, just dripping, just dripping, ever connected to the city, dripping, dripping as it comes to transform, as we seek through the gospel to overthrow sin through Jesus. Aslan is on the move in North Philadelphia. Aslan is on the move. I, I, I rejoice to see a bunch of folk worshiping God. A bunch of folk that might have been turned away in some traditional settings. But Aslan is on the move and things are beginning to melt. Things, when Aslan's on the move, things begin to transform and begin to melt and begin to change. I'm rejoicing that God is on the move here in North Philadelphia. And in all these missional strategies, as I see gospel transformation, that's what excites me. I'm so glad that Eric is an encourager. And one thing Eric encourages is that we have to do more and pray for more and seek after something more than what we can just pull off. The gospel is so much bigger than that. The gospel needs to be intertwined into your great-grandkids to see North Philadelphia transform, continue transform, that the gospel might be preached here from now and until Christ comes back, that we might see great fruit, great people come to Christ, that we might see a host of pastors and deacons and preachers emerge from this gathering, from this fellowship, from this, because God is doing, Aslan is on the move. I rejoice to see that we got big problems. We, got, we don't have enough chairs at Epiphany. We're running out of chairs often. I want my chairs back too, Eric. <laughs> Let me get ready to get out of here. Point two, a sense of family. A sense of family. Verse 37, look what he says. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt and with his own presence by his great power, he says he loved and he chose. He loved and he chose your fathers, your forefathers, and offspring. In verse 31, look what it says. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. God doesn't have a short memory. He brought you out. He goes further in that passage. It says he brought you out by his presence. He brought you out by his presence. He... That, 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 that word translates in the Hebrew to he personally brought you out. He personally delivered you. He did not send an angel to walk you through it, but he sent himself, Emmanuel, God with us. He left the comforts of heaven and he came directly here personally. Amen? Personally came. He brought you and he, he brought you out personally through his presence. God's plan is an eternal plan with eternal implications, with, eternal, with an eternal missiological view. See, he says in this passage he's driving out the enemy and putting you in. He's driving out, dispossessing the enemies. He's driving out sin and inserting his spirit. He's transforming enemies to allies. North Philly from the badlands to God's land through the gospel. Salvation calls us to unity with Christ and one another as believers. It's important that we have a sense of family. Many here are probably, um, for my church, a lot of people came to college and didn't move. So this is, for most, for all intents and purposes, your family. 
and we have to function as true family. Oftentimes we throw this token brother and sister around. Oh, that's my brother and sister in Christ. And they ain't never been to your house. Ain't hugged them in about a year. But that's got to be real. And as we continue with passion and purpose, the sense of family brings about a strength, this body life, this, this body of Christ, this family of God, as we show off the gospel of this unity, of this multicultural, multifaceted, multiracial, needs to be, is shown off that Jesus can put us together. If it wasn't for Jesus, we might be fighting. If it wasn't for Jesus, some of us might be breaking in your car. But because of the gospel and because of Jesus, he's put us together, a motley crew, a crew of mixed up folk who are gathered under one banner. And that sense of family is what pulls through. I'm, I'm a North Carolina boy by way of New Jersey here. And without my church family, I don't know where I'd be. There's an interdependence about the body that's mandatory, an intentional one-anothering movement, a synergistic movement. Donald McGavern calls it a movemental vibe as we move together to reach the people with, with the gospel, movemental vibe. That has to be more. There has to be more than just showing up and leaving out. We got to get together. Have some folk over. I'll come as long as you're cooking. <laughs> you treating, I'm eating. <laughs> The sense of family in verse 38. The sense of family in verse 38 goes further. He's driving out your nations greater and mightier. Driving out greater and mightier. He's evicting. He's eradicating. He's putting out. He's serving notice. He's exterminating sin and removing cultural dominance. Sin is greater than you. Sin has overcome us, but one greater and mightier than sin has come. He has overthrown death and the devil, and by faith in his name and repentance and belief in the gospel, you can be yoked up into this community of faith. And I'm so glad that discipleship ebbs and flows um, here at Epiphany. I'm so glad we're bigger than just attendance, but we're growing in the word, growing relationally one with another. That's where it lies. All these one anotherings. I, I grew up in church and I don't remember doing any of the one another. Love one another. Bear one another's burdens. They have been devoid and removed. We got to get back to one anothering. I think 26 times it appears. One anothering. Spur, spur one another to good works. Encourage one another. Bear one another's burdens. All these one anotherings, that's where that sense of family, that bonding, that unity comes as we move with the oneness. Jesus says, make us one. Make them one like me and you are one. Dal Gruder says in his book, The Missional Church, it is no accident that the church is called the body of Christ. It continues as an incarnate expression of the life of God. Verse 30, in verse 38, it talks about this inheritance. Look what the Bible says here in Ephesians. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. We have obtained an inheritance. We have obtained an inheritance. We didn't go and get it, but we've obtained it. He's graciously handed it to us out of his love. We have obtained we didn't go purchase. We can't work it. 
The Word of Faith movement tries to use faith as a currency that they can go up to the counter of God and lay it down and God has to give them what they want. We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his own will. We are part of those who are set apart. We are the body of Christ. In this city of divisions, racial, denominational, and socioeconomic and academic divisions, there must be a sense of family. Such a divided city. More church splits have happened in Philadelphia than you can shake a stick at. More denominations have been birthed here out of breakups. Oftentimes when you ride through Philadelphia and you see a church that says, greater such and such Baptist church, that means there was another church that they split from that was the regular church. So if it was so-and-so Baptist church, then it's greater so-and-so Baptist church because they weren't good enough. So there were splits. That wasn't church planning. That was church splitting. So greater or second. Second. We, in him, we have obtained an inheritance in this city of division. As a church planner, we seek to instill disciples that live out the gospel missionally in community and also plant pregnant churches that plant and plant gospel-centered churches that make disciple-making disciples. That's the sense of family. That's the sense of connectedness. That's the cycle that we seek to break from just B3 organ and big hats. The gospel is more than a B3 organ and a big hat. The mission of Christ is greater than that. It's more than that. It's more than a bunch of amens and empty worship. When you think, as Shalom prayed this morning, you think about the guilt. When you, when, when you think about the fact that his love went over and surpassed my filth. For some, when you think about abortions that you've had, when you, for some, if you think about emptiness and misery that you've had, when, for some, if you think about drugs that you've done, premarital sex that you've had, I'm so glad to be a part of the body of Christ. I'm so glad he looked beyond my faults. I'm so glad that he drew me into a community that loves me and doesn't take no mess, but stands to love through the gospel in Christ. That's what Eric Mason is to me. He's a person that will stand up, stand up and be Christ's voice in a situation when I'm talking like a devil. Looking beyond my mess. I'm so glad. I'm praying as I have interracial children that our children will not just have an Afrocentric tradition, but a bibliocentric tradition, a Christ-centric tradition. An inheritance of unity that moves beyond just playing church. Beyond just the biggest chair on the pulpit. Beyond a parking spot with my name on it. But a legacy of grace that says like John in John John 17, look what it says. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. 
that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. So this sense of family says oneness. Oneness just like the Trinity. You know, the, the, Holy, the, the Holy Spirit and the Father never vote against the Son. It's always a unanimous vote. It's always just one vote. And they don't cast three ballots. There's only one ballot cast. Make us one. Like they are one. My last point as I get up out of here. Point three, a sense of commitment. Point three, a sense of commitment. Again, I want to encourage you. I heard about the 22nd night. They said it was sold out. They said people were scalping tickets for $80 out front. <laughs> Somebody got the bootleg. They sell it with a head going, with guest head going by with his hat on. And I know that church planning, the energy that comes out can be exhausting and tiring. Again, I'm preaching that I might encourage you to remember the passion and remember the purpose that God placed you here in North Philadelphia. And this last point is a sense of commitment. Good. A sense of commitment. Do not waggle now that the chairs are filled. Do not waggle now that the webpage is more banging than it was. Praise God, if it be God's will, for the building. I'm praying hard. I want an office here myself. <laughs> Don't get complacent. Here, Moses is encouraging this, this generation to come, the generation to possess the land. Remember your forefathers. They disobeyed. They lost their sense of commitment. They weren't faithful to what God had called them to. In verse 40, what explodes out of the text for me is, Therefore you shall keep his statutes and his commandments. Therefore you shall keep. You shall keep his statutes. You shall hold to. You, have, you shall faithfully trust his commandments and his statutes because they're pure and they're holy and they are the way. Oftentimes, we begin to have an idea. We start it and then we ask God to bless it while we're doing it. We haven't asked him to do it. And then we're shocked when it crumbles. We were so committed to it. I, I was there every Wednesday at 7. That's not commitment. That's jaded, perverted commitment. Commitment is that your gathering, that your time in the Lord should be spent on your knees as well as in the scriptures. Not that quick value-packed prayer, Lord bless this reading, and then start reading. Just so you can argue and debate or sound beefier back at the gathering. It's not commitment. I did it. I'm the king of learning stuff to argue. I was looking for Arminians since I was a Calvinist. Just to fight with them. Looking for them. Getting stuff from Montgomery Boys just to argue. It wasn't commitment. It was commitment to stupidity. That's what I was committed to. 
But he says that you might keep his statutes and hold to and faithfully trust. Should the unconditional promise that the land of promise be the, the children of Israel's homeland, should that elicit obedience? Should that elicit praise and adoration? Should the blessing of this great salvation, this unconditional election by grace alone, through faith alone, in the promised lamb, elicit our worship? And our obedience and our and our allegiance and our surrenderedness, Doug Logan word. Give all yourself to the mission of Christ. That's my encouragement. Give all yourself to the mission of Christ. Give all your gifting, your money and your energy to the mission of Christ. Completion is what commitment looks like fulfilled. Commitment is the lining in the jacket of completion. Forgetfulness opens a door to disobedience. Chronic forgetfulness is called neglect. The inner city is severely neglected. The urban centers are severely neglected. Just go right out the street and look at the trash on the street. Look at the abandoned houses. Look at the corner stores. The weed paper is on the front for sale. The, 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 little, the little bags for the weed is in the front for sale. It's not even hidden. It's just open. Some people look at the inner cities like one big halfway house. Just one big halfway house. One big experiment. One big project. But you and I have to look through Calvary's lens. And we've got to be committed. I'm charging with commitment because when you, I, I'm, I lived in Jersey, in the suburbs of New Jersey, and I pastored in Philly. So I went across a bridge and gave my $2, and I left my my, my nice lawn and yard with my big dogs and my neighbors, I didn't have a key in my house in Jersey for six years. We didn't even have a lock to the door. Curtis snuck in and stole food before. And we went through to Philly. Sometimes I get to Philly and I get depressed. I'd be fired up to preach. Well, we're going to preach today. And I start driving. I start seeing little kids with no shoes on. Four years old with a diaper. I start seeing all the, the trash, the drug sales, the domestic violence, and that's in a four-mile run from Jersey to my church. I didn't feel committed. I, I wanted a nice little quiet church where I could just preach and everybody said amen and told me how great I was. My commitment was to my comfort, but our commitment must be to the plan of God. It's got to be to that. So we have to lay agendas at the door. We have to realize that it's a privilege and an honor to be in the family of God. It's a privilege and honor if you're saved. To, to, do you realize that if I was your enemy and I tried to kill you and I came to Christ, you would forgive me probably. But you're probably not going to let me move in your house. And if you do, you're going to lock me in. But God, to show his commitment, he saved us and he put us on his staff. Entrust us with his word. Entrust us to minister and shepherd his people. I was his enemy. I had a hammer when it came time for the cross. I had spit on him with my life. And it simply says, don't worry about that. I got a plan for you. Plans to, to, to prosper you, not to harm you. 
that you might have a future and that you might have a hope. This is a commitment we've been called to in this body, in this life, in this Christian walk. The blessing of this great salvation, this unconditional election by grace alone is more than just cute words on a web page. I think about the neglect, lack of commitment. I think about the neglect, not caring. I think about neglect, just giving up. I think about neglect. I think about so many churches in Philadelphia closing all the time. Neglect, neglect, neglect. But we want first-class blessings with third-class praise, with third-class obedience. Abandoned houses, abandoned churches, abandoned children. Deuteronomy 8.10, here's my charge. And you shall... And you, shall, and you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you this day. Lest when you have eaten and are full, got the itis, and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply, and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out the land of Egypt, and out of the house of bondage. He goes further, New Testament um, reflection, therefore we pray much, we pray, therefore we must pray much, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift Away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression of of disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed According to his will. I'm closing up, I promise. The Lord doesn't bring us to a reminder of our faithfulness. Isn't that good? He, 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 doesn't, he doesn't reflect on how faithful we've been because we haven't been. We are such an unfaithful bride. But he states what he has done as the model whereby we calibrate our commitment and our consistency. He continues to remind them, remember the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, brought you out, brought you out. Remember the Lord your God that brought you out. And he, and, and he gives them a stern warning, if you forget, he says heaven and earth will witness against you this day. Epiphany, you've been planted here as incarnate expression. Don't get tired. Hang in. And don't go with your energy, but let the fuel of the Bible, let the fuel of the scriptures, let the fuel of the gospel power propel you and compel you to go forward. His model is perfection. We are called to holiness. As he is holy, we are holy. Commitment songs, as I close. I grew up in an African-American Baptist church. I had kick-me-kill-me shoes and clip-on ties. The, the best part of the service I remember was 
This is the scripture I remember, the first scripture I've, re- I've memorized. Now unto him who is able. That means it was time to go. <laughs> now unto him who is able to keep you from falling, present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, power, both now and forevermore, and all the people of God. Yeah, y'all know that part. <laughs> But we sang some songs before that. Amen. Let me show you some commitment songs that we lied about when we sang them. I surrender all. We only surrender some. I am thine, O Lord, as long as my girlfriend's out of town. I have decided to follow Jesus as long as you don't send me to North Philly. And here's the one. I will trust in the Lord. Tell me the rest. Till I die. Y'all don't even say it strong because y'all don't want to lie no more. <laughs> I will trust in the Lord. We sang that. Then we sang four verses and then the choir director would say, higher. Will you trust in the Lord till you die? Will you surrender all? Are you the Lord's? I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. Have you truly decided to follow Jesus? He's a tough taskmaster. We must live out this gospel. There must be a committed commitment to this. We are praying for some crazy folk like you. Crazy enough to believe the missio day, to walk in, to be on mission with God until they die. Remember, incomplete obedience is complete disobedience. Verse 40, he says, I'm giving you the land for all time. Thank you, Jesus. And my last passage. So you be encouraged. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, Epiphany Fellowship, Saints of God, it in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's Christ's commitment to us. It's his plan we follow. It's his power we walk in. God must be the gold standard of our faithfulness. As his faithfulness continues to encourage and propel us, his redeeming us is a result of his commitment, of his promise, and of his faithfulness. Let's pray. Father, because of your great love, we thank you.